The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. It is Friday, and that means it's Godzilla. We don't have much room for anything else. Oh, William. <laughs> That's William. I'm disgusted. <laughs> my name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic. I write for The Rap and Decoding Everything. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I am a senior staff writer at Slash Film. Um, they've been giving me some weird assignments over there recently. Oh, dear. Like what? Yeah. Uh, one of the... Uh, the way it works over at Slash, a little bit uh, inside baseball, is uh, I work in SEO, Search Engine Optimization. Uh, editors come up with headlines, and we write the articles based on the headlines. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boy Scouts and Star Trek were somehow trending together. So huh. they wanted me to write an article about Boy Scout ranks. Okay. And like what kind of merit badges one needs to become an Eagle Scout, because Captain Archer on Star Trek Enterprise is an Eagle Scout. So I got to write about... The Boy Scouts of America, just which is just the Scouts now. Okay. Um, and uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they, uh, Boy Scouts of America, a lot of problems. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. We've all and, heard the stories. And to their credit, fixed them. Well, that's or, nice. or at least t- took steps to fix them. You yeah. Know, like, there was a big problem with bullying. They launched this big anti-bullying campaign. Right. Uh, they were going on, like, much more stringent screening processes to uh, stop abuse from Scoutmasters. Uh, they welcomed queer and trans kids mm-hmm. into uh, the Scouts. Girls are now part great. of the Scouts now. That's awesome. Um, That's great. Yeah, and they, it's like a lot of these bigoted churches started leaving the organization, and they just said, <laughs> bye, we're not doing you anymore. We're, we're doing our thing. So That's, good. that's what I've been doing over, over at uh, Slash Film. Uh, okay, well, and the, but that's not what we're doing here. Oh, no. No, no, no. This is our podcast here at the Critically Acclaimed Network, where Whitney and I are watching every single godzilla and godzilla adjacent movie and we've been very nitpicky about that (laughs) so much so that while we thought we did a pretty good job grabbing all of the monster movies that would eventually tie into godzilla in one way or another some more directly than others sometimes very brief and and even kind of random and obscure we keep finding out there's something we missed. Uh, <laughs> last week, we talked about Gorath, which was Ishiro Honda's uh, uh, giant uh, uh, planetoid going to crash into the Earth. His, his version of Armageddon or Deep Impact about 35 years before those movies came out. Uh, and it was pretty great. Walrus it's, be it's, damned. The walrus was thrown in right at the end. Yeah. It's a big monster. Kind of weird. They're, they're, the, the plot was they had to like... Uh, the the uh, world had to come together. Every nation had to come together to build these gigantic uh, rockets. Burrow, at the South yeah, Pole. burrow these big uh, uh, tunnels down into the, the planet's surface and plant rockets in there and push the entire planet out of the way of this rogue planet yeah. that was floating toward Earth. Totally implausible, but fun. Yeah, uh, and in so doing, they unearthed a monster like in the last ten minutes of the movie. It's totally incidental. Yeah. No one even comments on how weird that is. Mm. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, monster. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, that'll happen. Uh, but we missed another one, and we figured rather than do what we've done before, which is kind of wait for an organic uh, moment uh, to sort of just slip it into the rotation, we were like, you know what? Let's just do them back to back. We know them both. We, we got them uh, 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 both in front of us. And, uh, and it's two Ishiro Honda films that we'd never seen before. We already covered Gorath, and today we're covering Matongo. Or, as it was known in America, and it's not a great title, Attack of the Mushroom People. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of a story with this with this movie. It's not a great story, but it is my backstory with it. Uh, there was a book that came out 
uh, it was like the late 70s, early 80s, called the Golden Turkey Awards. Uh-huh. And the Golden Turkey Awards was a, a sort of a compendium. I don't, I don't know where you're going with this. No, I, I'm, I'm going because yeah. I'm going because Attack of the Mushroom People was in that book. Ah. Uh, the Golden Turkey Awards was a book that was dedicated to movies that the uh, critics who wrote the book uh, thought were some of the worst movies ever made. And it came out at a time when liking quote unquote bad movies was less of a socially acceptable pastime. As it is now, these films mm. were much more a cult movie in the old-fashioned, no, seriously, you have to find a weird, creepy group of people watching it in a basement kind of way. Yeah. Uh, and back when, back when cult movies were a little bit more of a, a full-contact sport. Right. And the Golden Turkey Awards, then the Razzie Awards, and eventually Mystery Science Theater 3000 kind of helped bring so-called bad movies into the forefront as a form of either ironic entertainment or genuine entertainment. Uh the, there's value to bad movies was, was, was what these circles essentially yeah. were, were discovering even if it was just giggling at how silly they are but sometimes they're, they're really interesting as well or, or just outright mockery that was part of it that, too that can be part of it I'm just saying sometimes they were better than, than advertised and the films that I read about in the Golden Turkey Awards just sounded so absurd so terrible and I haven't seen all of the movies in that book. Oh God, that's a podcast, isn't it? <laughs> this oh, the entire Golden Turkey book. Oh, when, you know what? Well, that, it's, you, you put that it away. You put, put it that away. You put, put it out there. No, it's out already. Nobody steal that. That's ours. Anyway, <laughs> but um, <clears throat> although some of them are lost, unfortunately. But um, one of the ones I always remembered very distinctly reading about was Attack of the Mushroom People because it sounded just absurd. In fact, they voted it the worst vegetable movie. <laughs> What? Even though I don't think mushrooms are technically they're, vegetables. They're not vegetables, they're funguses. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a different thing. Even yeah. a salad, you know, I, I understand the confusion. Um, and it always sounded so ridiculous, and I never got around to seeing it. It never really came up before. But as I was about to watch Matango, uh, I kept thinking about the Golden Turkey Awards. And I want to say something right now. And we've met one of the writers of the Golden Turkey Awards. He was a nice guy. Yeah. You're wrong. <laughs> Matongo is great. Now, that being said, I didn't see the version that they saw because Matongo was released in America in a much more truncated uh, okay. form. They cut it down for TV. Maybe that version doesn't hold up. I did have to see an, an English dub, uh, but um, even that didn't really hurt the movie too much. Uh, this movie is creepy. It's... I, I'm finding because I'm I'm thinking of this movie and I'm also thinking of Half Human, yeah, uh, which was another movie about a bunch of people sort of locked together in a desperate place with a few criminally minded outliers, mm -hmm. and how there is this vaguely uh, fantastical or supernatural thing doling out divine punishment. Mm -hmm. Uh. This one's a little scarier, though, because it f it's like the, the characters' brains are getting infected. The people are turning into monsters. Yeah, yeah. It's about, it's and, about, uh, it, it's, yeah. it's very much in the vein of like what we would now consider like a zombie movie. Mm -hmm. Everyone's trapped in a place and they're going, they're losing their minds and they're turning on each other. And ultimately, they're as dangerous, if not more so, than the actual monster in their midst. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm knowing, I'm, I'm noticing that uh, Ishiro Honda is really interested in that facet of humanity. Mm. Um, I would be curious to know if he ever pitched a kaiju film mm -hmm. where there were extended sequences of people trapped, hiding from the monster, mm -hmm. going slowly mad. Uh, Ishiro Honda and Kurosawa hung out a lot. Yep. They're very good friends. And Kurosawa has was always interested. He made a lot of movies, uh, typically very hopeful movies, about the human condition. Right. And about how uh, a group think was pretty dangerous. Mm -hmm. He was interested in exploring the weaknesses of humanity. Yeah. Uh, he always caught up with people when they were in pretty desperate times, <clears throat> desperate situ desperate situations. Mostly, yeah. And often, uh, and depending on what the story was, when people were squeezed, they either folded or they focused. Yeah. And. Uh, for the most part that he focused, he rarely made like cynical movies about how humanity was just sort of doomed. Uh, Han is in the same place. Hmm. Uh, you don't see it with his Godzilla pictures because those are like effects films. 
there's he does have human characters, but they're supporting players. Well, in the movies that we've uh, seen, again, he's yeah. very prolific, and we haven't seen everything. That he's I'm done. just talking about the monster movies. He's okay, made. but I'm seeing the more of these like other off to the side non Godzilla movies, or even the movies that feature other types of monsters. Yeah, a very sophisticated filmmaker. Yeah, who is really interested in complex ideas. Uh, I'm glad we caught up with this one because this is, I think, one of like. I don't want to say it's one of my favorites because I just watched it, mm. but it's getting it a lot, and it's one of the only movies of his that scared me. Yeah, I, there's an actual like penetrating atmosphere of dread mm. in this movie that's very very effective. And again, I saw it in you know a pretty cleaned up version, widescreen, you know, not like probably cut for TV and like sh- shortened within an inch of its life. Uh, just a, a rock solid good-looking version of what this movie's supposed to look like. And it is stark. It is atmospheric. And you're right. It's very cynical about the human condition. And and it's a really interesting double feature with Gorath, actually. Because Gorath, as we talked about last week, very hopeful Mm -hmm. about humanity, believing that when the chips are down... Humanity is capable, uh, worldwide, en masse... Actually unifying. Yeah, yeah, of of putting aside our bullshit and teaming up for the common good. Uh, That's a very uh, uh, uplifting movie in most respects. And then there's Matongo, which is basically humans are trash. Yeah. We're just despicable, terrible people. Living in the city will ruin you. It'll yeah. ruin your mind and erode your soul. Yeah. Uh, even when you are dying, you will be clinging to money. Yeah. That's a, that's a big theme of this one. Very much is. Uh, so Matango uh, opens on a boat. It's a yacht. Uh, watch it opens with a guy, uh, sorry, in like a mental institution. And he's basically explaining how I got here. Which is very Lovecraftian, by the way. And that's something that I feel, I'd be curious. I haven't seen any... Anything specifically linking Matango to the works of H.P. Lovecraft. I do know that it's, it's based it's, not on a Lovecraft story, but on a story called The Voice in the Night yeah. by William Hope Hodgson, uh, which it was from like 1907, so that mm-hmm. wouldn't have been influenced by Lovecraft at all. Lovecraft didn't emerge as a writer until a little later. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, in any case... It's got that sort of, you know, here's here's what drove me mad kind of quality. And the protagonist is a psychologist. Uh, and this is very uh, Lovecraftian as well. The idea that your protagonist is someone who is uh, very intelligent and expert in something. Someone who normally, if they said something, you would say, oh, they're probably right about that. Mm. But because you know it's a horror movie, and because you know they're a mental institution, you know, they're not. Yeah. And so you're a little ahead of them. So as they're, you know, trying to explain things away, you're just saying, no, they're a mushroom people. Um, we go back in time. The psychologist is on a yacht, and the yacht has the following people. Uh, there's uh, the skipper. The Gilligan, mm-hmm. the millionaire, the movie star, the uh, girl next door. Shit, this is Gilligan's Island. I, I was joking it's, for a minute, but it's no, kind no, of on the nose. I mean, it's those those types, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and and the psychologist, uh, and uh, oh, and a uh, and a famous writer. Uh, as That's well. right, like a, a novelist. He writes like crime novels. Yeah, uh, they're they're on a boat, and they're already immediately. We know these guys are these people are assholes because the writer is writing. He's writing this huge ream of paper, doing it all longhand because it's you know, sixties, and they're in the middle of the ocean. And the actress, who's his girlfriend, uh, just throws them in the water, like dozens of pages like, of original work that is she, not copied. She's a, not an actress. She's a, a she's pop an star. she's pop, an entertainer. Yeah, she's a pop star. Sorry, she's an entertainer. I. Yeah. I I sweetened that a little bit to make it closer yeah. to Gilligan's Island. But you're right. She's more of a pop star. But she's we see her performing live. She's an entertainer. But she throws all of his work into the ocean. <laughs> and as someone who writes for a living, fuck you. <laughs> How dare you? That would be like, just, just oh, one second, honey. I'm finished writing my novel. And then you just pour water all over their laptop. What are you doing? 
Ha <laughs> ha, and that's a, and that's a joke. And it's like ha 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 ha. No, we're broken up now. Um. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, so they, uh, so we're already, we're introduced to a bunch of class stuff already because the guys who work on the boat are rolling their eyes at these fucking rich people. Uh, the girl next door is the psychologist's girlfriend and she really doesn't belong. Like, she, she doesn't really connect to anybody. They kind of make fun of her. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we meet all these characters. There's a storm. And they're saying to themselves, oh, the storm will be just fine. Well, I'm in an expensive yacht that I bought with my people money. The weather started getting rough. Um, but, uh, and, and there's a big sequence with the storm. And, and even in the middle of the storm, they're still being assholes. The writer goes up to the psychologist as they're trying to, like, tie down the mizzen mast or whatever it is people do on boats. Um, I'm not a boat guy. Uh but the psychologist... Oh, I wrote this down. This is such a weird fucking thing to say. The, psych, uh, the, the writer tells the psychologist, Did you know that if you threaten a girl, then pretend to be sympathetic to her, she'll fall for you immediately? I, I love that kind of dialogue. The kind of respect it shows for women and yeah. humanity. Uh, the psychologist uh, retorts, That's the way you writers think. It's not yeah. psychology. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Yeah. I thought that was just a, a dick line. Yeah. Because I've heard plenty of lines of dialogue like that. Mm. Um, uh, as of this recording, a Valentine's Day has just passed, and uh, and my wife and I uh, went to a place called Largo, where they were doing a live reading of the script for the movie I Married a Monster from Outer Space. And it was a bunch of comedians. So, nice. Uh, Dana Gould was hosting it, and he wrote a lot of extra expositionary dialogue about just how stupid the movie was. Right. Um, and uh, that was just... L- hideously lousy with sexist right dialogue it's a bad script for one thing but yeah it's just you know and marriage is a ball and chain and why are these women just getting on our nerves like don't get married then yeah why why are are you doing Uh, this to yourself if you hate it so much so uh, I'm coming off of that and I'm watching this thinking okay dick dialogue the fact that they're dicks is a plot point. This is, <laughs> this, this is, is important. establishing character. This is not incidental. This is not this the is filmmaker. Not me- mere sexism from the 1963. You're supposed to think that guy is an asshole. And that's true. Sometimes you watch a movie and people say terrible things and you're not sure, is this the filmmaker saying this because he thinks that the audience is going to go, yeah! Or is it the character saying this because the character is an asshole and this movie clearly is in the second camp. Oh. Um... So uh, the, the the storm wrecks the boat, and they're stuck on the boat for days, and they're just already miserable and sniping at each other. Uh, there's an interesting bit where uh, the psychologist character is out on the boat in the middle of the night, and he sees like a giant ship coming their way, and it's about to crash into them, and then he like wakes up the next day, but like... You're not 100% sure if that happened or not. Mm. I guess it was a dream, but it's kind of specific and doesn't connect to anything. It's very strange. Creepy, though. Very foggy. Very, very atmospheric. Um, but yeah, everyone's everyone's losing their minds. And they end up finding an island. And they're like, great! An island! Let's go there! So they mm. go there. And... Their first order of business, since they were out of food, we gotta find food. They find water pretty fast. Great. It's very convenient. Food? Scarce. Not a lot of foliage, not a lot of animals. There's like a berry, but it's disgusting, so it's probably not good for you. Uh, And before they find anything to eat, they find another boat on the other side of the island that is less wrecked, but decrepit. And it's been there for a long time. Run run down and uh, they move in. They move in. It seems like a safer bet than their boat. They move into that boat. But here's the thing with this place. It is essentially a ghost ship. It is creepy and creaky and haunted. Uh, There's no one around. They can't uh, uh, find the crew, even like the bodies of the crew. It's just abandoned. Mm. They find a laboratory in the ship. 
and it's got like a bunch of very strange materials in it. One word that they can make out is Matongo, but they don't know what that means. Uh, the, the ship, many of the rooms are covered in a mysterious fungus, which is probably bad for you. Uh, and they find in the, in the lab a giant mushroom. Mm-hmm. And of course, they're thinking, can we eat that? Because you can eat some mushrooms. Oh yeah, I've, I I I have on a, I, I quite like mushrooms actually. I think they're very delicious. I like them on a pizza. Yeah, I like them on a pizza. I like them uh, fried up a little uh, little olive oil and garlic. <laughs> but uh, they're 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 pretty sure that if they were running experiments on these mushrooms, they're not great. So they're trying not to eat the mushrooms. They do find some food, like a few cans of food, but not a lot. And they decide, okay, so here's here's our plan. We're gonna stay here. We're going to look for whatever food and water we can find. We're going to try to fix up the other boat so that we can get out of here. And in the meantime, nobody go nuts and kill anybody. I'm looking at you. And by you, I mean everyone in the cast. Right. Because <laughs> they're, all, they're, they're all looking at each other like, you know that scene in, uh, 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 what is it, the, the Gold Rush? Where they're starving in like a little cabin oh, yeah, in the middle yeah. of the snow, and they like look at each other, and then they, the sort of screen changes, and they see food. We don't we never quite go to cannibalism here, but it's it's the same basic vibe. They're they're getting more and more desperate, and their hunger and their desperate situation, uh, like in these kinds of uh, disaster movies, yeah. brings out their true colors. Um, there is an inherent issue I have with this genre of films that uh, Matango does not avoid. Uh, you put a lot of people in a desperate situation, mm-hmm. zombies, apocalypse, monsters, uh, mushrooms, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually you're going to just devolve into a room of a bunch of people, uh, a movie about people locked in a room just kind of yelling at each other. Mm-hmm. And whatever the situation is outside becomes way less important than what's going on inside. And I understand that's the point of the movie. Mm -hmm. You take away life's conveniences. You Mm -hmm. take away the meals. Yeah, put put people people in a desperate situation. And people turn into monsters. Yeah. Is there a better way to dramatize that? than just having a bunch of angry assholes yelling at each other for 20 straight minutes. Because it gets really tiresome it, no matter what the scenario is. Right. If you're going to do that, have it be unique to the scenario. Or at least have it be a comment on the scenario. This idea that we become monsters when we start starving to death. Yeah, sure, fine. I get yeah. it. Uh, I think After a while, you're just being shrill and screaming and threatening each other, and that's not entertaining anymore. I, I think the tr- there, that, that is, that is the, the trap you can fall into mm. when you're making this kind of movie. And a lot of people do. Not in the least of which, Matongo is actually a rather big production, but generally speaking, those kinds of movies are pretty cheap. You know, oh, the, the world's dying outside, but we're in this house. And yeah, there's horror in the house, but the house is cheap. <laughs> we, can do, we can work with the house. Um, but I have a couple of schools of thought on that. I think one, uh, I had a screenwriting professor uh, named D. Caruso. He wrote for shows like Get Smart. And he had a bit that he tried to teach us where he said, if there's a trope or a cliche that annoys you when you yeah. see it in a movie... Ask yourself, why does it exist? Because there's a reason for it, and there's a reason people keep doing it. And then ask yourself, can I think of a better way to do that? And if you can't, maybe cut them some slack. (laughs) And that's because that's the thing. These kinds of, whether it's a simple thing, like not looking back as you walk away from an explosion... Yeah. Or or not saying goodbye when you hang up the phone. You know, little pet peeves people have when they watch movies like, oh, this again. Or whether it's something big, like we're doing a claustrophobic thriller in which people turn on each other and become the real monsters. Is there a better way to do that? The one film I can think of off the top of my head that handles something similar. It's not a monster movie, but it's very much people stuck in a desperate situation movie. At least it eventually turns into one. That I think avoids this through a modulation of tone. Mm. Triangle of Sadness. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking of Triangle of Sadness in this one yeah. as well. Because Triangle of Sadness does this stuff 
but it does it in kind of a satirical way. Uh, yeah. we're, we're meant to kind of hate the characters and laugh at them. Yeah, yeah. So, so when they're being yelly and annoying, they can interrupt with a joke. And I think that's what it is. It's about giving a little bit of variety. A, a lot of more overt monster movies tackling this sort of thing can always, oh, everyone's been yelling at each other for a couple of pages. It's getting a little tedious. Boom, monster attack. They got in through a window. I think it was Raymond Chandler who said, um, if you're stuck on a scene and can't figure out where to go and how to end it, just have a bunch of people run into the room with guns. Yeah, two two guys burst into the room with guns, and yeah. that's that's your next step in the plot. Yeah. Boom. It's mm. immediately interesting again. <laughs> what happens next? I don't know. Figure it out. But two guys running in with guns solves your problem. Again, tricks. Uh, but yeah, it, it will devolve into that. But there's, there's a lot of devolving in this movie, actually. Um <laughs> We do get one. We only get like one flashback, which is interesting because I thought maybe they'd do more. Uh, but there's one flashback, and we which see... is bizarre. Like, yeah. I I had actually like gotten up to get a glass of water, and I came back, and we're in a nightclub. I was like, wait a minute, I got I got to run this. <laughs> Did we flash <laughs> forward or back? What happened here? What, 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 which season is, of Lost why, are we in? Why is there a bikini dancer? <laughs> I don't understand. Uh, we we flash back to shortly before uh, uh, the the voyage. Uh, and all of the main characters are in a bar, and they're watching uh, the pop star perform, mm. and they're having a conversation. And we're just kind of getting to know them more in their natural environment, and, and just confidently assuring the audience that the the specifics of this bizarre situation, notwithstanding, these people are assholes. Uh, and they have a conversation that, honestly, it feels like a filmmaker hates these guys because. <laughs> uh, Someone, someone asked the writer, how can you write all the time? And another guy, the businessman, says, I'm certainly glad that I don't have to work that hard. I hire people to think for me, and I just use their thoughts. And even the writer says, there's nothing wrong with borrowing talent. It takes ability as well as intelligence. And that feels like a line that was added by the producer. <laughs> or a studio executive. Like, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, hang on. No, that guy's right. Yeah, that guy's good. I'm going to take this idea of yours, Ashiro Honda, and I'm going to use it. Um, <laughs> Christ. Um, anyway, uh, the 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 situation uh, keeps but, getting uh, more and more desperate. But, but I appreciate that we, we have this flashback, and it's not a flashback to nicer times. No? Like, it's more, more convenient more, times, yeah, sure. But. More, yeah, but the idea that uh, you know we're not flashing back to say, oh, and this is how human they were. This is how kind they were. And we flash back to the island and we kind of see the tragedy, how far they've fallen. It, it's important to note that a tragic figure, mm. like in a literary term, is not a figure who uh, has sad things happen to them. Mm -hmm. or, uh, it's well, not necessarily. Like uh, going into a story and you just suffer a lot. That's not tragedy. That's just suffering. Uh, tragedy involves, uh, a, again, literarily speaking, a flaw of some kind, mm -hmm. some kind of uh, uh, inescapable. They, they, they called it hamartia, is the the, the theatrical term. Mm -hmm. uh, this tra the tragic flaw, the the quality in your person that welcomes that tragedy into your life, that welcomes mm -hmm. that pain. Um, yeah. You're you're very proud. That's called hubris. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, invitation of karma, basically. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're you're a weak or deficient in some kind of way. There's a deficiency yeah. in your character, or maybe it's a, you see it as a positive quality, mm -hmm. but it's the thing that brings the misery into your life. Right. A tragedy is something that a character kind of has to grapple with as a quality of themselves. Right. So we see these flashbacks. We see that they're flawed already. They have tragic flaws and their tragic flaws are their selfishness, uh, their greed, their greed, their hatred, their pettiness, misogyny, their, their inability to engage with the world on anything other than a surface level. Mm -hmm. And, and this is where it starts to come in the city itself. Mm. This is a very much a, a movie about how leaving the world, leaving the city world, uh, is to welcome punishment from the natural world. Mm hmm. Which that, is a very common horror movie yeah, trope. The natural world is the thing that's going to destroy you, and that's something you see a lot in many, many, many horror films. What, what's that uh, Australian horror film you know? Is it Waken? It's not Waken Fright. Waken Fright. Yeah, it yeah. is Waken Fright. Okay, yeah. it's about a couple who goes it's on an sort excellent of excellent movie. Oh, it's, it's terrifying. Oh no, you're no, no. 
the couple that goes on. Oh, yeah. you're thinking of the long weekend. The long weekend. I get yeah. those two confused because they're both. If they're the both Australian. And the camera, yeah, and they came uh, out at the same time. The, yeah. No, I'm thinking of the long weekend. Waking Fright's great as well, but long weekend is about a couple that goes to basically spend a couple of nights camping at the beach. Mm. And they're just so shitty and selfish to the environment around them that the environment and everything in it turns on them. And yeah. that, you know, you can see, you can imagine the comical version of that with like the trees grabbing them or whatever. Mm. It's way more insidious than that. And it is so fucking disturbing. It's one of the great, like when nature attacks movies. Um, Anyway, uh, we're back on the island. Things are not going well. And there's a bunch of uh, mysteries that are continuing. Dante, I'm going to need you to get off that stack of DVDs, buddy. <laughs> Dante, my what, sweet I'm just, love. I'm just balanced on a wow. stack of videos. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a dangerous thing waiting to happen. If, if you hear a ruckus, it's the cat. <laughs> yeah, Dante likes to, Dante likes to be up. Um, anyway, mysteries are, are adding up. Uh, all the mirrors are missing on the ship where they're staying, and they find them smashed on the island. No explanation why. They see birds in the sky, and like there's a bird that like flies near the island, and then goes, nope, and flies <laughs> away. <laughs> it's animated, but it gets the, the point across. It's, it's not super convincing, but it, you know, you buy it. I, I like it. I like it's the, fine. I like that kind of effect. Yeah, no, it's not a bad effect. Right. I'm just saying, I'm, calling, I'm making the point that they didn't get a bird to really do that. Um, in the middle of the night, one of the sailors, and these are like, you know, the working class guys, and theoretically we're supposed to like be sympathetic with them, but Ishiro Honda isn't so sure. <laughs> uh, one of them just walks into the room where the two girls are staying. And it doesn't look like it's too monstrous, but at first it's just like, oh, what are we doing? Are you, are you, are you lost? Are you looking for food? What are you doing? It doesn't, it doesn't come across like, ah, I'm going to attack. Mm. Um, but they decided to like put a tripwire up on the door just in case. Uh, and the next day, this guy has one of the most v wicked and like, and not in like a cool way, but in like, like a, just a vile thing I've ever seen someone say. And he says, basically, we all know what our problem is. We all want to have sex with the women, and we don't get to. And the, the girl's like, uh, anyone going to stand up for this? And all the guys are like, no. And it's like, Jesus Christ, this has gotten real bad real fast. Unfortunately, it doesn't like devolve into that, but the, the threat of it yeah. is now in the air. And that's more than enough to just make it like just genuinely frightening. Like, we're already bad here and eventually someone says hey no we're not really gonna do that but it's like but it took you a minute there's there should not have been a pause there that should have been <laughs> an immediate guttural no that is that is you being a monster that is not that is not who we are that, that's not great that's that's not good not, we're, we're not, in a lot of trouble not great bob yeah um so the writer finally, uh, uh, like, you know, tries to shoot him. They do have a gun. They found a gun on this ship. And then somehow that conversation turns into what we now call slut shaming. <laughs> it's like, what are we doing here? And, and, and then like the, there's, there's a scene later where, uh, uh, uh the, we, the, we the, have... po the pop star is like, I think these guys are fighting over me. I think you've skipped over the mushroom people. I, I was going to get to that, All but right. we, we were talking so much about how they were devolving. But yeah, there's we see through the windows. They're creepy people looking mm. through the window a little bit, but it's all kind of slow burn. We're not getting there yet. The uh, rich guy tries to like sneak some food, and in the middle of the night, he like encounters something on the ship, but he can't quite see what it is, and he runs away scared, and everyone's like, that fucker was stealing food. I didn't even care about the mushroom people. <laughs> uh, as the food situation gets more desperate, they become more tempted to just eat the fucking mushrooms because there's a lot of them on the island. Like a ton. And there are these weird, almost Alice in Wonderland shots where when it's raining, we visibly see the mushrooms grow yeah, in this yeah. very shadowy alcove. It's a pretty cool effect. It looks good. Yeah. It's it's But it's... it's it, you change the lighting and it's the cover of like a book of fairy tales for children, <laughs> but they didn't change the lighting. Think, it's ominous as hell. I, I th and I think it's shots like that that might actually have earned this film, that golden turkey reputation mm -hmm. you were talking about. Yeah. Um, 
there, I think Ishiro Honda did an excellent job of making that look threatening and scary and ominous. Yeah. The natural world is looks strange. Uh, and the growth of these things is indicative of the growing iniquities in the hearts of the characters. Mm. It works. It's all fine. Well, I'm, uh, yeah. But think of another movie like Amity for the Evil Escape, Amityville for the Evil Escapes, <laughs> which is about a killer lamp. There's probably a way to make, to a, make lamp a lamp creepy. look scary. Yeah. That movie isn't it. Yeah. No, it's that tricky. That movie's ridiculous. The thing with, the thing is, and this is something that, um, you know, because you think to yourself, we eat mushrooms mm. and they don't fight back. Like, it's just like a carrot or something like that. It's just sort of like a thing that grows in the wild, right? Doesn't seem that threatening. They might be poisonous and that's threatening. But it doesn't seem like it could attack you in any sort of uh, a meaningful way. But the thing that I think Ishiro Honda uh, understands is mushrooms are really fucking weird. <laughs> like, look them up. They're a weird entity. They, like, form these, like, really complicated, like interconnected... My, mycelial networks under the ground. You, you learned that from Star Trek Discovery, but... No, that's... I learned that from... <laughs> 10th grade mycology. Uh, I, that was a joke. That was yeah. a joke. But no, they, they do. They form these like really complex interconnected systems between mushrooms. They grow together. They grow through things. They grow very fast. Mm. Uh, there's a great episode uh, of uh, first season of Hannibal, uh, which was like a serial killer of the week show for a while there, where there was someone who his whole thing was he would kidnap people and he'd like put them Plant basically... mushrooms in their bodies. Yeah, yeah he, would, yeah. he would, like bury them, but he'd bury them alive. And, and use them to grow mushrooms through their flesh so that they would all be interconnected with the earth. And that's so creepy. And I wonder if someone who, who wrote that show read, uh, saw Matango. No, my, uh, but, uh, no yeah. I, I have an eight-year-old son. He likes books of facts and interesting ideas. Like, yeah. Um, and yeah, he, he said, uh, no, the blue whale is not the biggest biggest living thing. It's it's really this kind of mushroom. That, yeah. Like Because when you add it all up, it's like bigger than a whale. Yeah, it's 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 a bizarre thing. And and again, this is the kind of thing that in the better Lovecraftian lore, the ones that you're you're not distracted by the horrible racism. <laughs> uh they're, they're, and there's a couple. There, oh, there, <laughs> there, there's there's a few. There's a few, and, and apparently Lovecraft did feel bad about that later in his life. A little too late, but but you know, apparently that's the case. No. Um, the 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 idea that something, especially something that naturally exists or that predates humanity, is bizarre and unknowable. Yeah, and and completely unconcerned about us. It can destroy but, yeah. us. It can let us live. It doesn't fucking care. We are nothing to it. And that's the mushrooms in this movie. And it's very, very ominous. Um, things get worse. <laughs> things get so well, they, much they, fucking They get worse. hungrier and they have to start eating the mushrooms more and more. And the mushrooms... Well, but most people are avoiding them. Yeah. And, and there's uh, finally the, the writer is the first one to mm. say, fuck it, I'm eating a mushroom. And he immediately turns on everybody. The, the, the mushrooms drive him mad. He, they're kind of hallucinogenic. Yeah. Uh, they're hallucinogenic in a way where you might suspect that the mushroom people aren't real, but we've already seen them uh, earlier in the movie. So the mushroom people are real. Yeah. And the, and the mushroom people, they don't look like, they don't have like cute little mushroom caps and, you know, no. walking around. Uh, they, they look kind of like the, the eye creatures from that one Mystery Science Theater movie where they're all like kind of like puffy and pustulous. Well, there, there's a couple of different, like we, we see different levels of people transforming into mushrooms. Uh, the early levels, in particular, where people are just sort of mutating through their skin. Apparently, this movie nearly got banned in Japan because people thought that looked too close to the way people who had suffered in the atomic bomb Ooh, gosh. Uh, okay, were, yeah. were like burned, and mm. and you know, and that's was considered in very poor taste. Uh, but later on, they form sort of broader uh, characters, and there are a few people with big mushroom cat heads. And <laughs> admittedly, those are not the best looking monsters. But then there are others that have these incredibly elaborate uh, outcroppings of mushrooms, really tall ones, like mm. s like spewing out of their shoulders. And it just, you can look at it and go, oh, that's kind of kind of weird and, and ridiculous. But then you think to yourself, what would that feel like? <laughs> like, how disgusting would that be? Growing into your body. Like, yeah. that big, that giant, changing mm. the way you move. 
genuinely horrifying. Um, so that's what happens when you eat the mushrooms. You're going to start turning into a mushroom person. They don't know that at first. At first, it describes the guy uh, uh, mad. He says things like, Matango, according to your understanding, means no longer human. That's fine by me. And he... And, and the pop star immediately is like, Oh, he's got the gun. He's taking control. I'll be with this guy. Everyone <laughs> fuck off off the boat. We're mushroom people now. Uh... They manage to wrest the gun away from him. They kick him off. Eventually, she comes back and tempts another guy into the woods. Like, you're so hungry, right? You do anything for food. Well, come with me. There's food aplenty. Just eat a mushroom. It's great. It tastes delicious. And finally, the guy goes, oh, that is really good. And we see things from his perspective. And he starts seeing weird, groovy lights. And he starts seeing, like contortionists and showgirls which feels a little desperate on the part of the filmmakers if I'm being honest it's it's not the most graceful thing throw some sex appeal into this scene where a guy eats eats shrooms and turns into a monster visual variety you have the entire movie in one room it's gonna look boring after a while I'm not arguing against that but it is it was a little comical but then she says oh by the way once you eat a mushroom you become a mushroom I probably should have mentioned it earlier. And he's like, no. And he's running around and there's these mushroom guys everywhere. And it's really fucking creepy. We're finally at a point where things are looking incredibly bleak. There's only a couple of them left who are still human. The psychologist and his girlfriend. Uh, The skipper took the boat and tried to find help. And the boat comes back and they think, oh good, he brought help. And it turns out there's no one on the ship. He left a note saying everyone on the yacht died, including me. I died at sea. And the boat had just sort of found its way back in the tides. So things are looking worse than ever. And the girlfriend is like, I'm just I'm just so hungry. I don't care anymore. <laughs> I don't fucking care. Can we just eat the mushrooms? And the psychologist is like, no, we can't eat the mushrooms. Uh, she eats the fucking mushrooms. <laughs> Things are getting yeah. real bad. And then he is completely overpowered and overwhelmed by all of these mushroom people. And it feels very tight. Like, I don't I don't have, like, an issue with claustrophobia. Like, I'm in a small room. Okay. That doesn't freak me out. What I don't like is being in a cluster of people. Hmm. Especially when it's, like, so cramped I can't move. And right. they just have... And on top of it all, if they were mushroom people, like, that would be even creepier, right? So it's just very intense, very tight, and very... They're just basically trying to shove mushrooms in his mouth. And again, it sounds ludicrous, and and it is, if we're being frank, but the way it's depicted genuinely freaked me out a little bit. (laughs) Genuinely freaked me out a little bit. Um, Yeah. It's it's good. Yeah. It's good. I'm trying to think. Uh, Yeah, Kiko gets kidnapped. And then... then we come back at the end of the movie. We're at the end of the movie. We come back to the scene at the beginning. And we realize that the guy had never turned to camera in the opening scene. And he had got away. He got on the boat and he just took his chances. And he doesn't even remember being rescued. But now, he, he, he at the beginning of the movie, he said, all my friends are dead. No, wait. All my friends are alive. I'm the only one who's dead. Mm-hmm. And now we realize what that means. Because... He, he says, if I'd loved her, I would have eaten the mushrooms with her. But apparently some of the mushrooms were on the boat, and he couldn't help himself, and he ate them. And now he's turning into a mushroom, and a bunch of scientists are looking at him in a weird, and, creepy and, cell. And yeah, like he, he's in the cell looking out at the window, and he turns his face, and we see like the fungus growing on his face. Yeah. And, and his commentary is like, he, he's looking out over the city. Yeah. He's like, the city did this. People in the cities are cruel, aren't they? It's all the same. And I think the, I think this is the last time in the movie. I think I wrote it down. Uh, I'd rather be living on that island than in this city. Yeah. Now I'll be perfectly frank. Blaming it on this, and again, this is an English language translation, so it might be more subtle uh, in the original, or it might be presented differently. Uh, putting all the blame on the city specifically is weird, considering how very little time we spent in the city. But would you just hmm. if you just transpose that to civilization yeah modern life urban living living in a in a city dehumanizes you we we may as well all be mushrooms i suppose at least mushrooms aren't you know trying to screw each other over for a percentage thank you ripley (laughs) uh 
So it's it's a little clunky with its final messaging, but well, it's um, clear though. It's effective. It, it's clear. It's effective. I like the the yeah. shot. Like he's in the cell, looking out over the city, and he kind yeah. of just like languishing the cell with these uh, uh, scientists looking at him. But they play fair. Yeah. Uh, I, it's not something that they sort of threw in at the end, and I think that flashback sequence has a lot to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I've I've written a couple of scripts in my day, and. I hand it to people, they say, what's the point? You go back in, you put in like three lines of dialogue, set up. Something yeah. that refers to it. You can see when writers do that, when they yeah. kind of throw in a few lines of dialogue to cover a plot point. Mm, or just to, uh, or just to clarify or something cla- yeah, what, so what the no one misses What the theme it. actually yeah. is. or you, know, yeah. you, you write one line at the beginning, you repeat it near the end, you're good. Theme. It's, it's easy. It's yeah. really easy to write that stuff. So yeah. when it's missing, it's, you can say that somebody really fell down. They did it. They set it up. Yeah. That sequence where they had the flashback, where they're in the city and they're all assholes, mm-hmm. proves that thesis that they had at the end. It wasn't just something they decided to throw in at the end of their mushroom adventure. That, that, Somebody thought it out, or yeah. at the very least, thought to cover their ass. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that much. I that it, it's not quite related, but it re, you just reminded me of a, one of my favorite uh, screenwriting stories uh, from the movie Bullworth. Remember oh gosh, Bullworth with yeah. Warren Beatty as like a. I think I liked it at the time, but it I, would, it's been a while since I've seen it. it came on like I'm willing to bet it's aged weirdly, but yeah. it's uh, Warren Beatty played a politician who hated his life and had even hired an assassin to kill him. But he was still going about. But this one, he has nothing to lose, so he goes to all of his press events and just says whatever he whatever he's actually thinking, mm. and that's supposed to be kind of refreshing. Uh, but but he's, he's clear, like he's clearly snapped like at the start of the movie like it's not he's choosing to speak his mind it's that he doesn't have a filter anymore at at the end of the movie he's like speaking in rap yeah (laughs) it's very very strange but uh there's a character in that movie played by oliver platt he's like one of his like aides or secretaries or whatever Yeah, yeah and i was reading a story in some screenwriting magazine and they were talking to the writer and apparently they were like the the one note that we got from the studio was that the oliver platt character was unlikable and we needed to fix that and we're like oh platt character yeah like that was that character was coming across really unlikable and we need to fix that and like what do we do how do we how do we go through the entire script the solution was this when they introduce the character and i forget the character's name so i'll just say oliver platt Uh when you introduce a character you usually put a brief description age uh the way they present themselves just your first impressions of the character when you see him Oliver Platt, 40, hmm. a very likable fellow. No more notes. <laughs> Studio was like, nailed it. <laughs> oh, that's great. Perfect. That's all, that's all we wanted. <laughs> there are no really likable fellows in Matongo. No. Uh, there, are, there are victims. There are people who probably deserve better, but there's no one who's great. Uh, there's no hero. There's no uh, uh, there's no person who always does the right thing. Uh, there's nobody who who even has the wherewithal to fight it. Yeah, uh, some people last longer than others, but yeah. You know. Or, or um, look, look at Night of the Living Dead. Mm. There is a decent character mm-hmm. who survives the night. Yeah, that's for the morning, but he survives <laughs> the night. Yeah. Yeah, not uh, not always because he made the right decisions. He made some wrong calls, but he's a moral, upstanding person. Yeah, and he's yeah. he's trying to survive and communicate with other people in an open way to survive a very desperate situation. Right. Um, we like that guy. Yeah. He, because of that moral, upstanding quality, he uh, was specially equipped to survive a desperate situation. Uh, theoretically. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you get like a survivalist character who survives, but he's a dick. Like he wants to kill other people and yeah. preserve resources or something. Yeah, but he's the only one who has the skills that they need, so uh, they need to be good to him. Matango has none of that. No. Uh, you think it might be the writer? He even says things like, oh, I've written about this before. Yeah. You know, this kind of... No, he just recognizes the degradation that he writes in noir stories. Yeah. You think it might be the sailors because they're like they're the working class and they talk about how much they hate these rich people and how out of touch they are. But it turns out they're not good either. Mm. Uh, and you think it might be like, you know, the wallflower because she seems very pure of heart, but ultimately the movie equates that to... Just weakness. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have any wherewithal. 
You think it's a psychologist because he's going to understand human nature. And sure enough, he tries hardest and he's the closest thing we have to a hero. But in the end, his faith in humanity is also destroyed. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't help anything. He just lists, he just holds out longer than everyone else. Um, it's a very, very sad movie. But it's not... A well, huge it's not, bummer, and it's that's not the sad, thing. It's just bleak. Well, I, yeah. I find that sad, but right. I, I suppose that's a semantics thing. But, um, but it's not a depressing film. It's just a cynical one. It's even though there's big swaths of the movie where technically not a lot is happening. They're just exploring the island, exploring the ship. Shiro Honda has a really great style in this movie that is just very focused on excellent, malevolent production design. Mm. Extremely atmospheric. I said that word so many times, but it applies to this movie. Uh, extremely like scary movie lighting, mm. um, and there's always the threat of people attacking each other, people stealing each other's food, and the threat ultimately of mushroom people. Calling this movie well, the threat of. Infection. Well, yeah. yeah. But eventually, literally, mushroom people. Which brings me to my point. Calling this movie Attack of the Mushroom People is an insult. It's It's... so much more camp than anything in this film. Well, keep in mind, Attack of the whatever monster you got was pretty common in the mid-50s. Yeah, uh, this the, comes out. It's got monsters in it. Attack of the blank. The attack of the mushroom people. There's a certain it's, sensationalism to a lot yeah. of the genre films of the era because there they're just trying to get people into a drive-in. It, yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't camp yet. Mm. Uh, it's camp to our ears now. Right. Uh, but attack of the mushroom people, more importantly, is inaccurate. It's yeah. not about an attack of mushroom people on like a. You hear the title, you picture like a big city, and mushroom people land in a flying saucer and mm-hmm. started like. Wrecking buildings, right? It's not what this movie's about. No, they, they, there is an attack scene later in the film, but it's mm. brief and it's the climax, so it's not really uh, terribly apt. Apparently, in England, this was released. Hold on, yeah, it was released as Fungus of Terror, which is a little better. It's still got mm. that sort of colorful, yeah. you know, oh, but that looks fun. But it's a little less uh, in-your-face ad campaign, yeah. Uh, Matango is a perfectly fine title. Uh, I, this is one of my favorite discoveries we've done on this podcast. I had heard so many bad things about this movie <laughs> for decades. No one had, I've never heard anyone say anything particularly good about it. Most people didn't even know it existed that I talked to. It's, it's really good. Like, it's super creepy. It's got like a few bits that are, you know, kind of silly in retrospect, visual effects or whatever, but it's very effective. I would recommend this movie and it's not easy to, I don't think it's got like a good release out there. And that's a shame. Again, criterion <laughs> scream factory. I don't, Somebody I don't care to who. clean this up Some, and really give it like a proper release. and Ishiro Honda, non Godzilla genre film box set mm. would be eye opening. I think. And and we're not even watching like his non-genre pictures. Yeah. Like he did like romances and historical yeah, pictures and yeah. Very prolific. They did a whole lot of everything. And but and yet like we keep finding that there are these like yeah, they're not all amazing, but they're almost all very interesting. Mm. Very ambitious. I like this way better than like half human. Oh yeah, half human because yeah. in half human there's elements of genuine like horror in that, but then it kind of gets like mired in its own plot and the social commentary is misguided um it's it's it feels more like a slapdash thrown together production this this is a classy yeah production mushroom people be damned literally they will be damned it's not it's not good for them that's that that's your title mushroom people be damned it's not a bad title actually i kind of <laughs> like it yeah, uh, just, just the phrase mushroom people is going to yeah. turn people off. Yeah, because it, it's hard to take seriously just at a glance. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's, cause, and again, I feel like that's true for a lot of movies that we consider quote-unquote bad movies. Mm. It's because we're primed 
yeah to accept their badness and we see this in we, we, we see this historically just a movie gets a bad reputation and everyone just assumes it's bad and they don't really go out of their way to reevaluate it mm. but we also see it in real time and this yeah. happens constantly where a movie comes out and for whatever reason the advance buzz is bad. Maybe the critics don't like it. Maybe the trailer looked ridiculous. Maybe we've heard behind the scenes story about what a mess it is. And it just feels like everyone's given permission to dump on it. Yeah. And maybe That's it's happening with Madame Webb as we right. speak. But yeah. and, and maybe it's, it's not good. Maybe it's really good. And it's just not going to get anyone to give it a shot. Maybe it's just kind of okay. And did, but didn't deserve all that shit. But regardless that's what people are primed for. Mm. And if they see any reason to justify what they've been primed for, what they expect, they're probably going to glom onto it because it will just make sense. Yeah. But if you actually take a step back from that and just try to watch the thing on its own terms, they can really surprise you for what it's worth. I kind of liked Madam Web actually. I, I kind of did too. I gave it a, a positive review. <laughs> it's, it's a silly film, but it's mm. it's it never pretended to not be. So uh-huh. how can I be mad about that? Whereas Matango, I feel like people were primed to see something silly, so they saw something silly. But it's actually not. It's actually very grim. Mm. But if all you if if all you see there's there's like um. There's a there's a, a supercut or whatever you call it of the remake of The Wicker Man. That made the rounds. Oh, yeah, and this yeah. is like 15 years ago now. Uh, that was just all of the silliest moments mm. from Neil LeBute's remake of The Wicker Man. And when you look at all those moments together in like this five, six minute clip, it looks like the funniest movie you've ever seen. It yeah, looks absolutely just, just a lot, lot of Nicolas Cage overacting and yeah. we don't have context for the scene so he starts screaming and yeah. it looks like he's just a crazy man just yeah. roundhouse kicking Lily Sobieski for no reason like it's, <laughs> it's it's stealing a kid's bike and you don't know why it's really really funny when you just look at those clips when you watch the rest of the movie uh, it sucks but oh it's quite bad but here's the thing it's actually kind of dull those scenes <laughs> they're in there but they're really spread out and well, the film, I, and the film takes itself really seriously, and it's just not that fun. Uh, I would say that when you're watching the movie, there's all these like really long, boring dialogue scenes that are just a bummer to get through, and a, there's a lot of this un, unusually unnecessary exposition. Uh, and when you finally get to one of those crazy moments, it kind of wakes you up a little bit. Yeah. And it's that weird modulation that makes it even worse. Yeah. So you watch it, and you think it's going to be this camp classic. You realize, wait, this is actually... <clears throat> just aggressively bad it's just not fun but like but again if you only look at the bits that look funny in a vacuum you can Mm. see that yeah but you have to ignore everything else and in the case of matango you're ignoring a really good movie so this is one of those movies like you know there's there's some neat films that we've seen some are better than others but this is one of the ones where i'll just tell you you if this kind of movie appeals to you and there's some people who just don't take it seriously and that's fine but if this kind of movie appeals to you, seek it out. It's quite interesting and very mm. good. Um, I would love to see the screened one day. It's a very pretty film. Yeah, just up on, on yeah. yeah, nice thirty-five millimeter yeah, print of it. Love great. something like that someday. But um, anyway, yeah, that's that's Matongo. Uh, thank you everybody for listening to Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. Matongo eventually connects to Godzilla in a couple of pretty minor ways. Um, the an action figure of some of some kind. I haven't seen the movie yet. For the the mushroom people appears in Godzilla: Final Wars. Okay, <laughs> but if that was the only connection, probably probably wouldn't have been enough. Hang on a second. So, um, eventually there is. Yeah, it's a TV series called Godzilla Island. Oh and, yeah, yeah yeah yeah. And apparently Matongo Island is adjacent to monster island like it's in like the same island chain okay and one of the kaiju neo hedera uh gets infected by mushrooms and comes back to monster island and infects all the the monsters which is pretty cool all right Uh, and then um apparently there is a friendly matongo in uh the godziban series who the what series godziban hang on let me see it's a it's a puppet show Oh, it's a Godzilla gosh. puppet show! I, 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 yeah. I haven't seen this. I remember, remember looking it up once. There's a couple yeah. of friendly mushroom people from Matongo who 
ask Biolante to save them from Des Ghidorah. The canon gets weird. This is why we're not covering the shows. We would never <laughs> stop doing this podcast. It's so fucking weird. But in any case, they did end up as part of the Godzilla mythos somewhere down the line. Uh, not a big part, but they're in there and we want it to be thorough. So we think we're caught up. I think that's it. If anyone, if anyone can think of one, please let us know. A couple of, I think there was like one suggestion, but it was like it doesn't actually connect, and so it was it was a nice idea, but it didn't work. But we'd always be interested if we missed something. We'd we'd love to to keep doing it. But we're gonna get back on track. We just finished up the Heisei era, and we're about to begin finally the Millennium era, beginning with uh, uh, Godzilla two thousand. Godzilla two thousand colon. Millennium, which came out in 1999. In Japan. In Japan. But that's fine. We, we got like Dracula 2000. Mm. That was the whole thing. It no, was the, such a the, good the, round the, number. The Blues Brothers 2000. There were a lot yeah. of movies. Uh, Pokemon the movie 2000. There yeah. were a lot, lot of mo- movies with 2000 in the title. We're, we're not going to get that opportunity again for a long time to have a movie title with mm. like three zeros at the end yeah. and have it be relevant to what we're doing right I, now. I appreciate that uh, during that whole idiotic glut of horror remakes in the mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. When 2006 came around, mm-hmm. on June 6, 2006, they somebody thought, we gotta release a Satan thriller. Yeah. So they remade The Omen. Right. Released it on 6606. I actually never saw that version. Um, I did, and it's not, not worth a damn. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, uh, even the original is pretty schlocky. It's yeah, uh, but it's fun, though. Oh, no, it's great. It's fun yeah. to watch. Uh, R- Richard Donner's a great director, but yeah. it's... It's not a very sophisticated movie. No, it was an Exorcist knockoff. It yeah. just happened to be a pretty good one. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, I I I have I have a soft spot for that kind of mm. shit. Dracula <laughs> two thousand is just yeah. terrible. I know some people. Oh, like it's it. garbage. Yeah. I don't. I I hope you're liking it because it's ridiculous. Because it is the secret history of Dracula as revealed in that movie. Just makes I I couldn't facepalm harder without like breaking my skull. <laughs> I, it's like oh come on. I remember renting the DVD of that. It was like this is a terrible movie. I gotta watch the special features. What were they <laughs> thinking? And one of the special features was Gerard Butler, who plays Dracula in that movie, yeah. auditioning. And he showed up at his audition with like this long curly hair oh and this heavy goth eye makeup. Oh my god! He's just chewing scenery. Yes, and I'm going to drink your blood. It's like <laughs> th- that's what we're. Um, all right. I heard a story uh, about uh, the Roger Corman Fantastic Four. Oh yeah, yeah, which is officially unreleased, but you can find it. It's fun. It's the best Fantastic Four. Movie. It, it is. That's that's not saying a lot, but it is. <laughs> there it, aren't any great ones. But it's, that's it's, the best one. At least it's got the tone right. It doesn't have the budget. It doesn't have the performances oh, no, no, and the no. screenplay, but the tone is right. Um, I'm I'm very very fond of it. But apparently they were because that was a movie that was made very very quickly, so they could retain the rights to Fantastic Four. So hopefully they could do a, mm. a bigger better movie down the road. They never which, which even, is contested. Which is allegedly uh, contested, yeah. but but that that, that that made it to retain the rights. Evidently, they that's the whisper there, heard there's, most often. There's some other reasons why it wasn't released. Regardless, it was made in a rush, and one of the yes. things that apparently they did was they cast the first person who auditioned for each role. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, if you were first in line, great, take them. Let's get out of here. We only have and we only have the studio uh, space for a day. <laughs> gotta gotta love Corman, man. Yeah. <laughs> But I digress. Um, so yeah, coming up next, Godzilla 2000, colon, Millennium. A little redundant there, but okay. It was just Godzilla 2000 in the U.S. Yeah. And is this, uh, and you've seen this one, is this uh, like uh, a proper reboot, or is it like already... Reboot. Okay. Re- restart. I believe it's just like uh, with Return of Godzilla in 1984. Mm-hmm. It's a sequel to the original. Okay, so there's... If I recall, we, don't, we don't go back to the origin of Godzilla. It, but, yeah. okay. I actually saw it in theaters. It was the, the first Godzilla... Or I guess second Godzilla film I saw in theaters after Roland Emmerich's. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, because they'd gone straight to video for a long time. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. New, new Godzilla, redesigned monster. Uh, in America. Has, has a meaner face. Mm. And uh, I, I was... Re- I'm relieved to report that uh, the Millennium Era doesn't get bogged down with, like, new metal hooey and tries to take itself all serious-like... It's uh. It, it, it's, were you concerned it would have a lot of limp biscuit in it? What yeah, we, I was okay. kind of, kind of. I was kind of afraid that it it would be 
steely and and kind of dramatically serious. I keep, they didn't do that until the 2014 Godzilla. I keep waiting. This for one's them. kind of this this era does have its silly moments, and I appreciate it. I, I keep waiting for the moment because it happens every generation or so where some movie comes along and popularizes a, a hit song from like the early 2000s uh-huh. that most of us had been trying to put behind us but now the kids have just heard it for the first time mm. like, like that like running the one... up that hill from stranger things yeah yeah exactly but like they, they've been doing that for the 80s for a little while now guardians of the galaxy did it for the 70s hell wings world did it for queen uh what's the movie that's gonna like bring back evanescence <laughs> where people are gonna hear like bring me to life or whatever the hell that song mm. is called from 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 the daredevil soundtrack and they're gonna use it in a cool like tarantino way mm. and all the kids are like you know that song is actually one of the best songs ever and i'm gonna be like oh my god what happened the problem is a lot of pop music from the early 2000s is shit yeah i guess they kind of they're kind of doing it with like britney spears like the bubblegum is well, is, is getting a revival well because but... the bubblegum you know corporate driven or not was operated on the level in which it was intended. It was yeah. fun. And I think appreciating it is not the end of the world, although I certainly scoffed at the time. But uh, we are way in the weeds. So let's get back to ending this podcast. In short, Justin Timberlake is a mushroom person. Yes. Thank you for listening to Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. If you want to hear us talk about Godzilla 2000 Millennium a week early... Uh, you can head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, where all of our new podcasts are ad free and you get a bunch of other exclusive stuff as well. Uh, we, we ran into some issues with health stuff and family stuff this last week, so we're a little behind on a few things, but we're catching up. Um, you can also uh, uh, subscribe wherever you find us, leave us a review wherever you find us. That helps a lot. But again, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. You get all the bonus exclusives. Uh, we're on social media at Critic Acclaim. I'm Matt William Bibiani. At Benice Ibel. If you want to talk about anything we discussed in this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us a physical letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah. And uh, until next time, shroom. <laughs> <laughs>